Good morning, everybody. Isn't this an awesome time of year? You never know what you're going to get. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. It snowed yesterday. That was nice. So, uh, One of the things that makes this really nice for our... You guys don't agree with me, do you? <laughs> I look out yesterday morning having my coffee and snow's coming down. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy you hate, so there you go. So last night was great. We were at Darden Prairie Days at the tree lighting, so the snow and the cold was apropos. Excited for Friday night. Our church family is going to be celebrating a couple of baptisms. Six o'clock Friday night over at the Fizey building, and you are all welcome. We would love for you to be there. If baptism is something that you're considering, you're ready to take that step, you're welcome to be baptized Friday or any time. The baptistry is always ready, or it will be, so there you go. So I, I love this tonight. We've got a potluck Thanksgiving dinner and service of Thanksgiving for our church family, first ever. We're providing the turkey. You guys are providing everything else, so please bring that and be there. Just an awesome time of year. I don't know if you realize this. Do you know after this Sunday, there are only four Sundays till Christmas? Yeah, let me tell you that. So I told you about snow and how <laughs> you guys are really going to be on my bad side. Uh, sorry about that. I just love this time of year. Can I give you a couple of challenges before we get into the teaching? Number one, if we only have four services till now in Christmas, we've got the, the service tonight. We're going to have a Christmas Eve Eve service on two days before Christmas, Christmas Adam service, and then the night before Christmas Eve. So... Six things in total. Will you make a commitment today that you will be at all of those things? It's not a huge commitment. Four Sundays, tonight, Christmas Eve Eve. Go ahead, you can pull out your smartphone right now. Put it in there. Just make an appointment that pops up and reminds you. Like, Make the reminder on Saturday night so you make your decision ahead of time. Because if you wait till Sunday morning to decide if you're going to go to church or not, it may or may not happen. But there you go. So that's a, just a challenge. If I'm healthy and I'm in town, I will be at church. Because there's something powerful when we gather together. Here's my second challenge. It has something to do with this that's in your worship program, worship folder. So if people are going to go to church who don't usually go to church, this is one of those times where they would be interested in maybe going. So you probably are related to somebody or live near somebody or work with somebody who might be interested in going to church, but they don't even know where to start. You know, just pick one. Invite them to come here. We've got the pancake dinner with Santa. It's a great thing for kids or grandkids. They can get their picture with Santa. It's free. We've got the Christmas Eve Eve service on the other side. Just give this to somebody and say, I'd love for you to come with me. So there's your two challenges. Now, third thing I want you to do today, if you got one of these, crack it open, all right? Yes? No? <laughs> all right. If you don't have one of those, you can take a smartphone app, pull up. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians today. We've been looking at it for the last several weeks. It's toward the end of your Bible. Table of contents, you're more than welcome to look it up, what page that's on. We're in 1 Thessalonians 5 today. We've been looking through, as we look through this, this letter, it originally was a piece of correspondence from a church planter back to a church that he had started, a group of people who probably gathered every Sunday in a rented space like we do, in a lecture hall or somebody's house. And the guy who wrote this letter wrote a letter back to them to remind them some of the things he taught them when he helped lead them to Christ and baptize them. So we've been looking through and asking, what is God's will for our lives as people who are trying to take God seriously? People who want to say, if Jesus is the master and I'm the student, what does he want me to do? And we've been as asking and answering that question as we've studied through it. Today, we're looking at the verses that Brian had us read aloud earlier. We're going to go through chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 over the next three weeks and break down each one of these commands. But let's just go ahead and read it together again. Actually, I'll read it and you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. So it says here, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
very simple. It's like staccato drumbeat. Always rejoice. Always pray. Always give thanks. Very simple. And then he says, this is God's will for you. That God's will covers all three of those. It's not just God's will that you be thankful. It's God's will that you always rejoice, that you always pray, that you are always thankful. He's saying these are things that are really important to God, which for me, I don't know about you, but I love it when God tells me exactly what to do. Uh, there's no ambiguity that's very clear. This is, if you want to say, well, God, what's your will for my life? Here it is right here. I want you to always rejoice. I want you to pray. I want you to be thankful. We're going to focus in on that first one. The command for today is always rejoice, which, just, just be honest, does that give you a little bit of a, a like, uh, really? Does it give you a little pause? And I'm, I'm guessing if it does make you go like, okay, is this realistic? Okay, this is church world, but then in the real world, it's probably not the happy part that gives you trouble. Like, American culture has no problem with being happy. We even have named a kid's meal after it, the happy meal. This is what parents feed their kids when they don't like their kids. Those things are so unhealthy. But it's a happy meal, so you get it. We had several years ago another thing that Bobby McFerrin, anybody know who he was? Please don't sing it. Don't worry, be happy. Oh, if somebody sings that, I, I just feel the need to shove bamboo stakes in. Not, it was a good song at the time. It was just overdone. And so I know what you all are going to do. You're going to say, you talked about snow, so I'm going to sing Don't Worry, Be Happy to. <laughs> Thankfully, Pharrell Williams came out with his happy song for the Minion movie because that kind of cleansed the palate a little bit. I, that one's not been overplayed yet. So what I'm saying is, you know, Americans, we, we understand happy. There's even a smartphone app that you can download that will help you with happiness. It's got a really clever title. You ready for it? Track your happiness. See what they did there? So this is actually a pretty cool app because once you download it, it will set the baseline for your life. It'll ask you, pop, questions will just pop up on your phone. You answer them right then. Like, um, the, one of the questions is like, how satisfied are you with your life as a whole? And you would set the slider like very or not very. Or maybe a pep question will pop up like, what are you doing right now? Do you have to do this or do you want to do this? And then you would kind of say how happy you are at that moment. So what happens after a while of collecting data from you about your life and how you feel in that moment, it will start sending you customized reports through email to tell you how happy you are, which is something any mood tracking app could do, but it goes a step further because as it's drawing information about what you're doing when you're happiest, it will tell you what correlates with your happiness. It may even give you some indications of what causes your happiness. So it, it's an am amazing thing. A lot of people find it to be really helpful. I'm sorry to say it's only available for iOS, so it's only available for iPhones. If you've got an Android phone, I'm sorry, you can't get it. But if you have an Android phone, you're probably used to being unhappy, so that's <laughs> nothing new for you guys, right? So go back to the command in the scripture. It's uh, always rejoice. So we're not going to have a problem with the rejoicing part. What's the word in there that gives us trouble? Always? Really? Do you get the feeling that Paul, could you, Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, could you have used a different word there other than always? Because, like, don't we have a word in the English language for somebody who's always happy? Weird, right? Like, I just slammed my hand in the car door. I am so happy. <laughs> no, you can't literally not be happy all the time. I would have been more comfortable with usually rejoice, sometimes rejoice. When you feel like it, rejoice. When things are good, rejoice. He doesn't give you any wiggle room, does he? It's like always rejoice all the time. Whatever's going on, there's, it just doesn't seem right. And yet Paul says this is God's will for you. It says heart for you. I want you to always rejoice all the time. So if I can just summarize what we've seen so far here. 
there is a tension between what we think the Bible is saying and what we actually believe is, is possible and real and achievable. So let me take a little bit of the tension off for you. Like you, you're saying, well, I know the Bible says it, but I just don't think it's realistic. I'm going to take a little, not all of it, but some of it. It is not saying that you always have to feel happy no matter what is going on. That's not what it's saying. And we'll get into why that is in a little bit here. But it's not God's will that you just always be happy. For one thing, that is impossible. Is this literally impossible to be happy all the time? God made us with all kinds of emotions. Happiness is one of them. Joy is one of them. But other things too. And so it's not even like a good idea to try to always feel happy. You would be contradicting so many of the other emotions that God made you with. John Stott, he's a Bible scholar, he said, you can't, joy is not something you can just turn on and off like a water faucet. That's how God made us. I'll go a step further. If you are one of those people who like, tries to pretend like you're always happy all the time, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> Even the Bible says, like in Romans, it says, there's a time to rejoice, and if people around you are rejoicing, you should rejoice with them. But it also says that the people around you are mourning and grieving, you should mourn with them. So, you know, this is as of Romans 12, 15, by the way. So if you're looking at this idea of, can I always be happy? God didn't make us that way. The Bible doesn't teach that you should always be that way. It's not psychologically helpful to think that way. It, so Paul's not trying to contradict what we know is true. But there is a little bit of tension there, though. Because Paul's not really letting us off the hook totally. Because we still have to figure out, what does it mean to always rejoice? I want us to take this seriously as if it's actually doable that when he wrote that, he didn't mean it like as a kind of an exaggeration or a hyperbole, that he really said something that isn't actually possible for somebody who follows Jesus to to literally rejoice all the time, no matter what's going on. I think maybe maybe we ought to figure out what the word rejoice means. That might help us understand. Is that the same thing as being happy? What, What is it? One thing I notice here, When he commands us to always rejoice, he's not telling us to feel something. He's commanding us to do something. I mean, that's a tip-off right there. So when you look at this, he's saying, I want you to always rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice? It does mean to feel something, but it also means to show something. Uh, It just means to show or feel great joy or great delight. So, you know, you got a little bit of a tip-off there. And I will say, we will all readily acknowledge it is not a problem at all to show or feel great joy or delight when things around you are good. When your circumstances merit that, that's really easy to do. Like, if you were to give me a big, nice bar of dark chocolate, I would have no problem at all feeling or showing great delight. I would tell you thank you. I might even share with you. I might not, but, but that's good. How do you feel when you get to vacation, wherever your best vacation spot is? Like you get to the beach, you get to the condo. I have no problem rejoicing, but my circumstances match that. Like first, I go into vacation mode, shirt comes off, shoes go off for the whole week. You know, what are you doing without your shirt on? We're at the restaurant. I'm on vacation. I'm rejoicing. I'm showing great delight. You know? So the problem becomes, how do you show great delight not necessarily feel happy, but how do you show great delight when things are not good? Because you and I both know this. Life doesn't always go well. Is that a good way of saying it? And coming up on the holidays, some people, that's like their favorite time of year. For some of us, it's like the worst time of year. You're thinking of all the things that are coming up. And it's, you know, what do you do when the Bible says rejoice and life is just sucking the life out of you, sucking the joy out of you. It's like going the opposite direction. 
Uh, I don't know if you remember this, Kirsten. I'm looking at Kirsten for this. This happened several years ago when I was a youth minister. We had this great idea for a fundraiser. It was for Valentine's Day. We were raising money for the kids for a missions trip. And so I don't remember who came up with the idea. It was really good, though. We made uh, and took orders for these balloon bouquets. We were going to have some helium balloons attached to, and the weight was going to be homemade cookies, chocolate chip cookies. So we could kind of wrap them up, tie the ribbons to it. So we had all the kids Friday night, the day before Valentine's Day, all the youth group was there, sponsors were there. Some of them are in the kitchen baking homemade cookies and wrapping them up in the foil or whatever, and other people are, like, cutting the ribbons and tying them to it. Other people are filling the helium balloons. It was a really nice bouquet. We made a lot of money. We collected all the money. We were going to come back the next morning on Saturday and deliver all these to the hundreds of people who placed these orders. And so the kids and the sponsors and everybody, when we left Friday night, there are just balloons everywhere. The foyer was full of them. The sanctuary was full of them. There are just all these balloons just floating in the air. We came in Saturday morning, and there had been a massacre. All the balloons were still full, but they were laying on the floor, like all of them. It's like somebody had come through and killed all the balloons. You ever heard of something called high float? We didn't know there's something you're supposed to spray in the balloons before you put the helium in there because helium seeps out of latex balloons. We didn't know that. Maybe they offered it to us and we're like, no, we're not paying any extra. We're trying to raise money here. You spray the high float in, it keeps the helium in the balloons. We didn't know that. So I don't even remember what we did. I th- we may have delivered the balloons flat, <laughs> all I know. And people are like, yeah, it's a fundraiser, whatever. But doesn't life sometimes do that to you? Maybe you start the day really happy and full of joy and you're ready to rejoice always and circumstances just start pinging you and sucking the joy out of you and you suddenly don't feel like doing that anymore. What do you do when nothing seems to be worth celebrating? Well, what I want to do, a couple of things. First thing I want to do is I want to take you to a real-life example of somebody who, despite some really difficult circumstances, actually did this. They, they chose to rejoice in their bad circumstances. And I think that probably the most helpful thing to do would be to take you to the guy who actually wrote this. Did he really practice what he preached? Yes, he did. So Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, he was the church planter. I want to take you to a time in his life where he actually did this. It's in the Bible also. If you go back several pages in your Bible to Acts 16, I want to show you where this happened and how it happened. So as you're turning to Acts 16, I'll remind you or bring you up to speed. So Paul was a church planter. Thessalonica, where he wrote this letter to, was a city in Greece, northern Greece. They called it Macedonia at the time. city is still there today, second largest city in Greece. Before Paul went to Thessalonica, he had been in another Greek city to the east called Philippi. So he came into Philippi, started preaching and teaching about Jesus. People became Christians. They were baptized. So you got this church starting in Philippi. And then everything just went south in one day. Here's what happened. I'm going to read this out of the, um, the New Living Translation. Starting down in Acts 16, verse 16, it says, One day we were going down to the place of prayer. And I'll just pause there. The, who's, who's we? Well, so it's, it's Paul, his, his buddy Silas. He was a fellow church planter. Timothy, who was their young protege. They were mentoring Timothy. And then Luke, who was a doctor who was accompanying them. Luke, who was this physician, Dr. Luke, is the guy who actually wrote Acts. And he was with them when this happened. So he's an eyewitness talking about something he actually saw. So it says, one day we were going down to the place of prayer. We met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Sounds pretty cool. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Not so cool. She's being exploited by people. 
She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God. They've come to tell you how to be saved. And this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly the demon left her. Well, her master's hope of wealth were now shattered. She couldn't tell fortunes anymore. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. No good deed goes unpunished, right? Look down here in verse 23. So they ended up, here's what happened. Paul and Silas were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. How would you feel at this point? Have you done anything wrong at all? This is injustice at its finest. You're trying to do a good thing. You're preaching about Jesus. You're casting demons out of kids. You're kind of freeing them from an exploitive master. And they end up in prison for it. You're not going to believe how Paul and Silas handled this. There is absolutely no reason to have joy in their life at all. But look what was happening. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. There's nothing in their life that merited rejoicing, and yet at midnight, that is exactly what they were doing. They were singing praises to God. They were thanking God. They were praying to God. How, how do you do that in the midst of injustice? He's practicing what he preached. Apparently, it is possible to always rejoice. Now, the story goes on. The next morning, the people who put them in prison realized they had done a huge no-no. If you're a Roman citizen, which is what Paul and Silas were, you are absolutely not allowed to be beaten unless you're convicted of something. You are not allowed to be put in prison without a trial, which they were. The guys who arrested them and beat them and put them in prison came the next morning, and they were like, we are so sorry. Will you just leave town and not say anything? They could have actually been executed for what they did to Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas are like, you know what? You guys did this. This is on you. We will leave town when we want to leave town. So they went. They met with the church again, the church in Philippi. They said their goodbyes. Then they got on the Via Ignatia, that Roman interstate that went from Philippi, and they headed west, and that's when they ended up in, in Thessalonica. Okay, you fast forward. Paul not only wrote this letter to Thessalonians, he also wrote a letter back to the church in Philippi. You know one of the things he reminded them of? He said this in Philippians 4.4. 4, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. That would have meant something to them because they saw their pastor go through incredible suffering and yet he kept his focus on God. And, and that's the lesson for us. And that's the takeaway for us. I mean, you can obviously rejoice when things are going well. That's easy. Anybody can do that. That's appropriate. How do you rejoice when things are not going well? I want to remind you of something I said earlier. This is not a command to deny reality or to be weird or to fake it and pretend like you're happy when you're not. Listen to something else Paul wrote that kind of shows he really does know what it is to be mentally balanced. 2 Corinthians 6, he said, Our hearts ache, but at the same time we always have joy. I, I just want to point something out here. Joy and suffering are not mutually exclusive. They can both exist simultaneously. You don't have to be crazy or a hypocrite or fake it in order for those things to happen in your life. You can be in the midst of suffering like Paul and Silas were and still at the same time express joy and rejoice. 
know, because I think of the Apostle Paul, of all the words I would use to describe him, they would not be weird or psychologically unbalanced or hypocrite. He was one of the smartest, most intelligent, kindest men who ever lived. So he obviously knew something that we need to learn. For me, I think this is just a matter of focus. If you want to write this down, this is probably the, the whole pivot for all this. This is, to me, how you do this, how you always rejoice. Rejoicing is making a decision to look at what God's doing, not what your life is doing. It doesn't deny any of the crud that's going on in your life. It's just choosing to look at something outside of that, something beyond that, something bigger than that. I'm going to look at what God's doing, not just what's going on in my life that's horrible. If you only look at that, rejoicing makes no sense at all. I would say it's weird. But when you start looking at something beyond you, it starts to make sense that, oh, man, this is probably going to work out really good. And when I'm past all of this, I'm going to look back and be really thankful that I chose to rejoice and not give in to cynicism, not give in to despair. So I go back to Paul and Silas in jail. They were doing exactly what I'm talking about here. Yes, they were in jail at midnight. Yes, they were in stocks. Yes, they had been treated unjustly but they chose to look at what God could be doing beyond what they were suffering in that moment. This ultimately led to even more people becoming saved and being baptized into Christ. It was just an amazing story because they focused on God. Here's what I'm trying to say. Rejoicing is choosing to see the hand of God in whatever you're going through right now. I mean, things might be horrible for you right now. Can you look past that to what God might be doing? It's to, to decide that I'm going to act as though I believe, really believe what the Bible says is true about God, that he's good, that he loves me, that all of this is going to work out well and it's going to end well. It's just being consistent with what we say we believe. So I want to be really practical here. I've got three things, give me like seven more minutes. But I, I want you to actually be able to embrace this because I really think that this is one of those core things that Christians ought to be known for along with loving people is that no matter what's going on, we have this joy that can't be tamped out or extinguished. And here's a few ways that I would just, I found for me to be personally helpful, and I want to share them with you. The first thing I would just say is, just look at what God has already done. If we're going to look beyond what's going on in my life and look at what God is, just look at what he's already done in your life. So did anybody, when you were young or have you as an adult, have you memorized John 3.16? Or you've at least heard of it? I would like us to quote this together, and I know for some of you, you're like, I don't even think I know it. It'll be on the screen, so let's just all say this together. Would you say this with me? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 2,000 years ago, God did that for you. If God never did anything other than that for you, that's already amazing. He forgave sins. He took away all of your shame. There is literally nothing that you need to really be afraid of because God already did that for you. What else, though, has God done in your life? So here's some homework. This is not hard. In your worship folder or just somewhere, would you take some time this week during Thanksgiving and just think about some of the things that you're thankful for that God has done for you? Let God bring some things to your mind. I've started doing this a, a few years ago, and this has just been a life changer for me. I do this. I will jot down in my phone. I take the, the calendar app, 
and I will make an appointment, but I'll type in the notes something that I'm thankful for that I want to remember, and then I will set it to repeat every year. So this literally happened this week. I had a, a, a reminder pop up on my phone. I looked at it, and I read it. It was something from last year this time, something I had completely forgotten, something about you all here at church, and I typed it at the moment because I did not want to forget it. I thought, this is awesome. God did something amazing for you and us and us together. I forgot it until it popped up on my phone. And all, all of a sudden, again, I'm feeling just as much joy Tuesday as I did last year when I typed it into my phone. We forget so quickly how much God has already done for us, but there's something so therapeutic and helpful to remember, look, God has done so much for me already, so just think about it. You can, that idea is free. You can use it if you want. I highly recommend you do that. I also would recommend that you look at what God is currently doing in your life because he's doing something in you right now. It may even be kind of painful, and you wish he'd stop, but I'm pretty sure God could be doing something in your life right now that's worth looking at. The Bible says this, James chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You know, it seems kind of weird, but that's what the Bible says. When you're in a lot of trouble, consider an opportunity for great joy, and here's why. You know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You look at what God's doing in your life right now, and you're going through some difficult time. Looking at what God's doing, you get a little different focus. You say, yeah, this hurts, but I'm going to be more mature when this is over. I'm going to be stronger, more self-disciplined. I may love people more. I may have more compassion and kindness. I may have more self-discipline. I may be more self-controlled. I may have more peace, more faith in God. And it's difficult, but I'm going to look at what God's going to do and what kind of a person I'm going to be after this is done. I'll give you kind of an analogy to hang your hat on with this. Anybody like coffee? I love coffee. Watched a great documentary this week called Caffeinated. I highly recommend it. It it takes the, the process of coffee from the farm down in South America or Ethiopia or India or wherever, from picking it off the bush all the way through to roasting it and all the way to grinding it and serving it at at different coffee shops. Great story. One of the steps along the way, you guys know this, it's so important, especially if you're a coffee drinker, is the roasting process. Because if you roast it just a little bit too long, it's burned. You know, you want to bring out all those aromas and flavors and the, the textures of that beautiful coffee bean. There's a guy named Henry. He's a master roaster for Henry's uh, House of Coffee in San Francisco. It's just a famous coffee place. He's been roasting coffee for over 50 years. And his dad was a coffee roaster in Lebanon before him. And he said he used to, he learned the trick of roasting coffee from his dad. And he said when he was a little kid, he would help his dad roast. And he said, I would, I would forget and I would touch the drum because it's like over 400 degrees when they're roasting coffee. I would touch the drum. I would burn my hand. And I'd be so sad. And I, my, my dad said, oh, let me see, let me see. And I'd say, I burned my hand. And his dad said, oh, that's good. That's really good. Now the secret is in you. It's in your blood, the secret of roasting coffee. And then he said, I remember I was so happy because the secret was in me. You know, I wonder if God looks at us, and, and, and things are difficult, and, and we get burned by life. I wonder if God just says, oh, let me see. Oh, this is good. The secret's getting in you. You know, the secret of joy or the secret of patience, or the secret of being kind to people. Whole new perspective, isn't it? Really important to look back. Look, I want you to also, as you're looking present, just continue to think about 
where's this all going? What's in my future? Awesome verse in the Bible. You should memorize this. This is in, uh, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul also wrote this one. He said, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Yeah. You know, maybe God's doing something in you that he can't build into you any other way but that you go through this suffering. And so maybe you just need to look it forward into what God is going to do in your life. I, I've been watching the news like I shouldn't, but I do, and maybe you feel that way too. It's really hard to avoid being cynical. You're like after five minutes of CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, and you're like, that's it, we're going to die tomorrow. That's it, it's just all. You know, the Pew Research um, did, did a study last year, and they found that only 19% of millennials believe that the world is okay. Like, 81% believe that the world is a very dark place, that, that people can be trusted. A lot of cynicism out there. You've got to fight against that because God's already told us the future, and it works out well for all of us. We've got to live like people who actually believe Jesus is coming back, that he will bring the dead in Christ with him that we will all be raised and we will all be changed. We've got to live like people who believe there is actually something to put our hope in, that there is a future reality, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, the home of people who are eager to do what is good. That is our future. It's already settled. It may not have happened yet, but it's going to happen. Put your trust in that. I can rejoice when I think about, this may be tough, but it's going to work out well. And you can too. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us and giving us so many reasons to rejoice. Help us to get past the cynicism and the darkness to just realize that even when things are tough, that we can trust you, that this is all going to work out well. Help us to do what Jesus did when he endured the cross for us and set that joy of our salvation in front of him. And I want to pray, Father, that this morning, that if there is anybody who is really struggling, that they would reach out to you and that they would reach out to a friend here. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.